Who has no idea who I am? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. Yeah. Who had no idea who I was before last week? Okay, got a few more. Good. Um, I'll tell you a little bit. I'm nobody special. Um, My wife is special, so make sure you meet her. But I'm just the guy. I know, right? It's true, though. Um, Okay, my name is Joshua Peebles Dillon. Leonore um, said all of that. Uh, She just left a big dramatic pause between my middle and last name. Um, My name used to be Joshua Peebles when I got married to my lovely wife. We both changed our last names. Ask me about it sometime. Not right now. Um, But after this is good. So I have worked for Scum of the Earth for, what, seven years now, probably? Um, So not since the very beginning, but for a while. And I've been blessed to see Scum grow and change and new people come and people be encouraged and new staff members and all sorts of fun stuff. And uh, have been really thankful for the journey that God has taken me on um, and so many others at SCUM. So it's fun to be able to actually be here for our 10-year birthday. Uh, The reason why I'm not here a lot of the time and why a lot of you may not know um, who I am, if you've heard this before, just listen to the babbling brook. Um, If you haven't, though, this might be helpful for a little bit of context. What my wife and I do working for SCUM is we travel the United States in a bus. Uh, It's a short bus. It runs on used vegetable oil. It is parked out back. It's gray, not flat black. Um, Some people mistake those things, but that's our bus. Uh, We call it the Scum Gypsy Wagon. And we... We try to, what our intention with doing that is, is to go to different communities um, that are doing similar things to what SCUM does or who are wanting to do something similar to what SCUM does and try to just spend time with them, uh, brainstorm, bounce ideas off of each other, learn from what they've been doing, share from some of our experiences. And with each new community we go to, we have one more group of people that we can tell everybody else about. So we've been to church A, B, and C. We go to church D, and we're like, hey, that's a really cool idea you guys have. Church B is doing a really similar thing. Here's a phone number. Get in touch. Try to build more connection points between churches that are maybe trying to reach more countercultural people, people who don't feel comfortable in traditional churches, whatever the case may be. Um, And I've seen a lot of cool things come out of that and uh, are going to continue to do that. We're in town for a few weeks, and so I'll be teaching again um, in a couple weeks here, and then we'll head out and go to a couple more places. So that's kind of who we are to give you a sense of what we're doing. Um, If you want to talk to me more about that, um, I'm more than willing to do that, just not right now, after this is good. Well, you know, we're at church, so let's pray, huh? God, thank you for the opportunity to gather together here in this building um, with these people, with your presence here amongst us. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to sing songs that glorify you, to draw close to you, to eat together, to talk together, and to learn together. Um, Would you please teach our hearts, um, make us vulnerable and available to your spirit moving uh, through the rest of this evening tonight, and give us boldness to respond to you and to go after you. Amen. I'm going to move this because otherwise I'm going to fiddle with it the whole time. Now, while the babbling brook is endearing, could someone please maybe try to shut it off? Because that's going to be real distracting, too. I don't know if someone could look into why that's happening. Is there no possible way? No, it's like the dishwasher running or something like that, isn't it? Somebody just see if we can do something about it. Oh, or that, this guy. Thanks, man. (laughs) Sometimes it's easy, right? Sometimes it's easy. That's good. 
You know, I've been a Christian for 13 years now. Before I became a Christian, I was a man without a purpose. Purpose was something that was always really important to me. Seriously, from the time I can remember, I'm like 12, 13 years old. I'm lying in bed, awake at night, going, what am I going to do with my life? And my parents are like, just play with some G.I. Joes or something. (laughs) So that was always something that was really important to me. I, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I didn't become a Christian until I was 19 years old. So do the math if you want to. I didn't have purpose. The nearest thing that I could find to any sort of um, significant thing that I could do that would be beyond myself, because that was the key, something that was beyond just this life and myself, something that would kind of outlast me or be bigger than me or more important than just this one person, was, um, was to be an astronomer. Because at least in, in a most obvious sense, it was like, well, the stars are beyond this planet, you know, Maybe I can do something with that. Maybe I can get beyond myself in that sense. When God got a hold of me, when I turned my life over to Jesus, um, I got really excited. (laughs) Because here, all of a sudden, there is a possibility of purpose, of intention, of an ability to do something that mattered, that was, was more than me, that was beyond me. And so... I sought after God for that. I said, God, what do you want me to do? What what is your desire for my life? And uh, you guys may have heard this before, but it was actually in a really crappy above-ground swimming pool that my parents put up that blew away like the next summer. I was out there swimming, thinking no one else was around, and God told me that I was going to be a full-time minister. And that was really significant, that I was going to give my life to this. I was ready to go into school to study astronomy. And it was like, nope, you're going to do this instead. Now do what it takes to get here. Now here's the catch. What's a minister? (laughs) Details, you know? Like, do you want me to be a pastor? Do you want me to start my own church? Do you want me to be a missionary? Do you want me to travel around in a bus? Do you want me to be an associate pastor with someone? Do you want me to be a street evangelist? What do you want? What? Okay, thank you. Details, please. I wanted purpose from God. That's something that I wanted from God. And then I wanted details from God. I desired, I needed, I craved. God, give me this. I imagine that there are one or two people in this room who want something from God as well. Whether it be purpose, that you want to know the exact thing that he wants for you. Or you want to know how he can use you. Or you want to know who you're supposed to marry. Or you want to know where you're supposed to live. Or any number of things. Or just for him to show that he's real. Or that he loves you. Or that things are going to be okay. There are so many things that we want from God. That we go after him for. Or that we want him to offer to us. To give to us. We don't know what to do about it. And I think sometimes this can leave us in a really difficult spot. Kind of between a rock and a hard place. Or intention just not knowing what to do, and getting frustrated there. We've been in a series on Mark. Um, Hey, man. Have a good night. God bless you. Good night, man. Have a good night. We'll see you soon. We've been in a series on Mark um, for the past couple months, actually. And tonight we're in Mark chapter 5, the second half of that. 
What's interesting about this passage is that it tells a couple stories in it about different people who wanted things from God and the ways that they engaged in their desire to receive from God. So without further ado, it's going to be up there. I'm going to go ahead and start reading that, and then we're going to talk about it. Mark 5, starting in verse 21, says, I guess I'll use my mom's study Bible here. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So last week, Mike was talking about how Jesus was over on the other side of the Sea of Galilee um, doing some crazy stuff over there, healing a demon-possessed man, and uh, they couldn't handle what Jesus was doing over there. It was freaking them out, and so they said, uh, hey, could you leave, please? And Jesus is like, okay, gets in the boat, goes back over here, and as he arrives on the other side of the lake, there's literally a crowd just like waiting for him. I don't know if they're camped out. I don't know what the deal is, but maybe they saw him coming from a distance. But in any case, a large group of people has gathered and is waiting for Jesus to come back over. And they gather around him. And as they do so, uh, this man, Jairus, who's a religious leader, an important person in the community, sees what's going on, sees that Jesus is there, and goes to Jesus. Now, he tells Jesus that his daughter is dying. And, and his daughter is, you know, the connotation is that his daughter is, like, on death's door. She is, like, done. You know, there is, he's, he's probably taken her to whatever doctors he could. He probably brought people over from the church to pray over his daughter. He's done everything that he can for his daughter. He has, you know, run out of options and maybe has been waiting for Jesus to get back from the other side of the sea. And here Jesus is. And so this very important man goes and he falls, literally falls at Jesus' feet. And he pleads earnestly with him. He says, my daughter's on death's door, essentially. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. His daughter is physically sick. She's physically unwell. And the word that's used there when he asked for Jesus to heal is the word sozo, Greek word sozo, which means to be saved. So he is asking for Jesus to physically save his daughter. Now, of course, that idea of salvation, that word for saved, can have many other contexts in which it's used. A spiritual salvation, a physical salvation, maybe a, a mental or emotional salvation, ways to find wholeness. But in this case, what this man is asking for is salvation for his daughter physically, and that she may live. And, uh, you know, the word for live there is zeo, so if any of you are metal fans, enjoy that. And if you're not, you totally didn't get that. It's okay. <laughs> Continuing on, verse 24. So Jesus went with him. Jesus says, okay, I'll go. Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus... She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. She was made whole. So this crowd that was around Jesus has decided that they're not just going to let him wander off 
they are gathered around him. They're thronging around him. They're bumping into him. Um, it's kind of like, well, th- think of the idea of um, like maybe being in a band, crowd surfing at a big show, a very popular band, and somebody drops you and you're in the middle of the crowd and everybody's really interested in touching you and maybe stealing your watch or, uh, you know, playing with your hair. I don't, I don't know. They, they want to connect with you. They want to engage with you. They want to get a piece of you in a sense. So, you know, rock star fantasy, just let it float around in there. Don't, don't spend too much time there, though. It's not, it's not good for your ego. So this crowd is there, and I don't know if you guys knew this, but back in the time that Jesus was teaching, there was not the same level of entertainment that we have today. There wasn't, like, television to watch, probably not many books to read even, for example. I don't know. They probably had some dice games, backgammon or something like that. Probably not. So when there's a big crowd of people gathering around, it's like, okay, what's going on over there? That's what's going on. That's what's happening in this town right now. I'm going to go check it out. And probably some of the people, in fact, we know that some of the people who went over there didn't necessarily know what was going on. They come up, okay, what are we looking at? You know, what's going on here? Maybe a Life of Brian moment. I don't know. But, no? Okay. It's okay. It's okay. In all seriousness, this woman, when she came up to the crowd, didn't know who Jesus was. Because it says here that there's a woman there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, and that when she heard about Jesus, so like as soon as she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she, she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. So this woman who had tried everything who had been to the doctors for 12 years, who had run out of money, who had gone through all this stuff, she hears about Jesus. Whoever told her about Jesus must have been a very convincing individual because she immediately goes, yeah, okay, I'll just touch this dude and it's going to be cool. All this other stuff that I've wasted all this time on didn't work, but I know this is going to work. There's something special about this lady. So she goes to Jesus. She touches him. She wants something from Jesus. So she went, and she got it. She went, okay, I'm going to sneak up. I'm going to touch him. I'm going to be healed, and it works. How does that make any sense? Like, he just, she just touches his clothes, and it says here, immediately, like straight away, the bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering immediately. It works. She went and got it. She went after it, and somehow it works. Let's keep reading here. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus knew that something had happened, that this woman had touched him. And he, he looks for her. Now, everybody's touching him. Everybody's trying to steal his watch. Everybody wants to take the shoe off his left foot. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus. And that's why his disciples are like, what are you talking about? Like, everybody's touching you. Like, how can you say who touched me? But there was something different about the way that this woman touched him. She was able to receive power. His very existence... His very being, by virtue of who he was, he carried power. Power to heal. Power to save. This woman wanted it. She went, she touched him, and she got it. 
Now she's afraid. It says here she's trembling with fear because Jesus isn't giving it up, man. He's looking around. He's like, okay, who touched me? Who touched me? You? You? How about you? You want some? You want a little? She comes before him. She knows she can't get away. She's trembling with fear. Why is she trembling with fear? Maybe she's afraid that he's going to take the healing back and she can't stand it. Maybe she's afraid that he's going to be angry with her. Now, what we need to understand is this woman's been bleeding for 12 years. It's menstrual bleeding. And in the Jewish culture of that time, a woman who was bleeding in that way was considered ritually unclean. So think about it. Here is this great religious leader who everyone's believing in and following around, and she, in fact, is believing in, and she sneaks up. She doesn't go to him and ask like everybody else does. She sneaks up, touches him, unclean hands, touches the religious leader. She has to imagine at this point in time, because it says she, she tells him the whole truth. So in front of all these people, and to him, the religious leader, she says, I touched you with unclean hands. What's going to happen to her? She could get in a lot of trouble for this, let alone have the healing taken back from her. And again, of course, this is where Jesus proves his mettle. He didn't want to punish her. He didn't want to take something from her. He wanted to be able to say to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. To call her by a familiar name, your faith has healed you. Again, healed, sozo. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Be whole. Let's flash for a moment here to another character in this story. Jairus, daughter at death's door, waiting for Jesus maybe to get across the lake, falling down at his feet. She's literally dying. We got to go. The crowd is not easy to get through, to walk through. And then in addition to that, Jesus gets touched, and then he's like, whoa, who touched me? He's probably, he probably does it a lot cooler than that, with more dignity and godly authority, not... You get the idea. Compare and contrast. Um, who touched me? Jairus is, I don't know. Maybe Jairus is way more righteous than me. I hope for his sake he is. But I'm thinking if I'm Jairus, I'm going, I've been waiting, man. I've been waiting. He said, yes, what is going on here? Why are we not at my house yet? Why doesn't he just, you know, part through these people? And, and why we got to do this delay with this woman? And it's like, fine, just let her go, you know. And then, continuing in the scripture, it says... While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. That's not good. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Why did this take so long? Now Jesus, Jesus is interesting here. He's interesting a lot, actually. Ignoring what these people said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Now the connotation here of that word, the tense, believe, is the sense of keep on believing. Keep believing as you believe that I can do this. You came to me, you trusted, we're going. Don't stop believing. Hold on to that feeling. Thank you, thank you. So they keep moving. But all of a sudden, things get a little bit different. In, uh, in verse 37, it says that Jesus did not let anyone follow him, except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. 
It's like he said to the other nine disciples, crowd control, handle these guys. You know, just, just deal with it. Here's a nightstick or something. Make sure they don't follow us. He doesn't let anybody follow him except for the three disciples and presumably Jairus. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. They were mourning in the way that Jewish people of the time did. Big display. Lots of obvious upset. But Jesus goes in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. They derided him. They'd been there. Jesus hadn't been there. They knew the girl had died. It's funny that they laughed at him, though. Like, this is not a laughing time. But um, they couldn't believe that Jesus would say, she's not dead, but asleep. So they laugh at him. So what does Jesus do? Get out! He puts them all out. He says, after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, come. Which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus goes in. He puts everybody out of the house. He takes mother and father, a couple disciples. He raises this little girl from the dead. If you look at this same story as it's told in Luke chapter 8, it's told in some detail there, it says in Luke chapter 8 that the, the girl's spirit came back to her. Her spirit was off somewhere else. And Jesus called it back. Jesus extended his hand. He chose to heal this little girl. He chose to actively go there. She didn't have any choice in the matter. She was off playing a harp in the clouds somewhere, maybe. And Jesus reaches out his hand, and he commands her. Little girl, again, with relational terms, kindness, endearing. Little girl, I, but seriousness, I say to you, get up. Spirit comes back, little girl gets up, starts walking around. And then he says, okay, get her something to eat. There's a very human touch to this, you know, like, okay, now she needs to eat. She's been dead, probably real hungry after that. <laughs> but here's the thing. This situation is very different from the one that occurred earlier. The way that Jesus interacts with what this person wants from him is very different than how he does with the woman who is bleeding. It is no accident that in three of the four Gospels, this story is told, and it's told in this order with the interjection of the woman bleeding and the healing of Jairus' daughter that these two stories go together. Now, I believe that it actually happened this way, that Jesus met this woman on the way there, and, and that's why it's in there. But someone could have easily left it out and just said, that story, there's lots of stories about Jesus. We'll just skip that one. We'll talk about another one. There is a reason why Jesus worked these two things right next to each other in the way that he did, and there's a reason why it's written about the way that it is. And it's different. Because in the first case, the woman wants something from Jesus, and she comes, and she touches him, and she gets it. She comes after him. She seeks after him. Her faith interacts with the reality of who he is, and she's healed. Let's be honest. Jesus didn't really have a say in the matter. It doesn't seem from the text, did he? 
Now, I'm sure he could have taken it back if he wanted to. But she came and touched him. And she got what she wanted. In this second story, Jesus chose, without the little girl's consent, to go to her and to actively command her to come back to life. Now, her parents exhibited faith and wanted this, but the little girl herself, Jesus said, I'm doing this, and that's what's happening. You're alive. Boom. Have some hamburgers. (laughs) These are very different. There are four Gospels in the New Testament, four different stories with lots of continuity and lots of similar stories being told. But in all of these Gospels, in all the stories that are told about how Jesus heals people, how Jesus saves people, how Jesus gives people what they want and what he wants for them, wholeness, he doesn't do it the same all the time. Sometimes they come up and touch his clothes, not even him, his clothes. Sometimes he goes and raises them from the dead. Sometimes he spits in the mud and picks it up and rubs it in their eyes. Sometimes he sends them on their way and says, go do this thing and you'll be healed on your way. Sometimes he lays his hands on. Sometimes he speaks a word. Why doesn't he always do it the same way? It would be so much easier for Christians who are trying to, you know, help people out and do healing to just know like five words to say And then someone gets healed. Boom, just like that. Jesus doesn't do that. What a jerk. How confounding, you know? Make it easy for us, man. It seems to me that Jesus does this on purpose. Because he knows how us humans can be. We like our boxes We like our formulas. We like to understand how things work. Okay, one part faith, one part prayer, one part laying on of hands equals salvation of physical body. I'm healed. I'm, I'm, we got it. Isn't it easier that way? Isn't it so much easier to know that this is exactly what I've got to do all the time and it will always reap this result. I get frustrated when it doesn't work like that in real life. I get on an airplane and and my, you know, head part is broken or, or I keep sliding back like this and I'm upset about it because last time I rode the airplane, that thing worked. You're riding an airplane. It's pretty cool. Don't complain about the little stuff. Every time something changes, I mean, coming back after being gone from here for four months and, you know, there's an office over here and there's a lock on the door and I don't have a key to the lock. What the heck? (laughs) Something has changed. Something's different. I can't rely on it. I'm so angry inside. (laughs) I'm not the only one who gets like that. We expect things a certain way. When they're not that way, they can get really frustrating. Boy, is God a God of frustration. (laughs) The study of God is referred to as theology. Theo, theos, it's a Greek word for God. Ology, study of God. I love theology. I love the discipline of it. I love learning about God. I love learning about how God works in the world. It's a beautiful thing. But the study of God is not like geology. We can't just categorize everything and say, this is the way it is. Put a stamp on it. When I want something from God, I always do it this way, and I always get this thing. Boom. Tell the world it's awesome. Go to the God machine. Get what you need. You know, the Bible teaches, and we as Christians confess that Jesus is God. 
we look at these stories of Jesus and we see God. We see how God acts. We see how God interacts. We see how God engages with people when they want something from him. In this case, we see how Jesus acts very differently with two people who wanted something from him. Now, I'm sure that Jesus could have, the woman could have been sneaking up behind Jesus. He could have been, boom, get out of here. Don't touch me with them hands. If we wanted to, if we wanted to, we could look at this story of our God, Jesus Christ. We could look at these two stories, and we could support two totally opposite theological vantage points from them. We could say, well, look at the woman who comes to Jesus. She is exhibiting all the intention. She's going to Jesus. She's interacting with him. She goes. She takes it. He lets her have it. You know, and it's, it's all about her impetus. It's all about her free will coming to him and getting what she wants, and then she goes away healed. Well, of course, that's how it always works. If we wanted to, we could look at Jairus' daughter and go, this, this little girl had no desire necessarily. She didn't express it to be healed. Jesus chose to do it. God always chooses. We don't get a say in it. If God says it's going to work this way, it's going to work this way, Period. These stories are right on top of each other. Is that a mistake? Or is God a person with desires to interact with us in different ways, to bless us, to know us, to allow some of us to draw near and know very much exactly what our purpose is going to be, exactly who we're going to marry, where we're going to live, so on and so forth, and to allow some of us to spend 13 years in the faith so far and be like, what's next? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself? Guess I haven't mastered that one yet. That can keep on being my purpose. What we see from both these stories is that Jesus wants an actual interaction. He doesn't want the woman to just touch him and run away. He wants to talk to her. He wants to bless her. He wants to speak to her. He wants to call her daughter. He calls the, the girl, Jairus' daughter, little girl. He raises her up. She, he gets her something to eat. There's a personal interaction. There's an actual engagement here. When people want something from God, what he wants is to interact with them as a real Honest to God being, not a formula. What do you want from God? What do you ask him for when you're broken down and you have no place else to go and you have to fall at your knees and go, man, show me you're good. Show me you love me. Show me my purpose. Show me what I'm supposed to do, who I'm supposed to marry, what haircut I'm supposed to get. I suggest mine. Your wife will love it. (laughs) I think we all want something from God. Wherever we're at in our lives, in our relationship with him. There's a lot of talk in evangelical churches of having a personal relationship with Jesus. I'm afraid that sometimes what that looks like is being able to call God dude when you pray to him. What's up, bro? How about you uh, throw some sweet blessings our way? Now, maybe you can talk to God like that. That's between you and him. But that's not all that it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Being willing to let him be himself. And interact with us how he sees fit, whether that be annoying or frustrating or whatever that looks like or just very encouraging. No, don't move. Don't go anywhere. Let me just love you. That can be sometimes the most frustrating thing that he could say to us. I'm going to share a story, then we're going to go into 
Shortly after that, a time of worship, we'll have communion and prayer. I'll explain that a little bit more. But let me share a story that hopefully will help you guys um, work this out in your own life, something that Leanne and I have learned recently. Again, I'm sure that a few of you have heard this, but I think it's really cool. Um, I think God worked in pretty amazing ways. We had to get a new bus recently. The one in the backyard is sweet. It's longer than our old one. Our old one, we drove for like, um, I don't know, a lot of thousand of miles, and it broke down in Arizona, um, which if, it's gonna, if a bus is going to break down in the winter, Quartzsite, Arizona, not the worst place to break down. Got to be honest with you. Our bus broke down in front of a burger stand. We spent several days trying to fix it. And I'm no mechanic yet. Give me time. More breakdowns will get me there. We worked hard to fix it. We finally realized this thing isn't worth fixing. Uh, We need to get something else. And at that point in time, things were getting crazy. Leanne's grandma was passing away, so she had to fly off to Chicago to be with her. And I got to deal with this dog, and I've got no computer, and my iPhone's got a crack in the screen. And I'm like, what am am I going to do? And I'm working hard, and I'm talking to everybody. And I'm like, I found a website, I'm sure some of you guys know of it, where I could search literally every single Craigslist in the entire nation looking for a bus. That was, that was a really helpful discovery because searching them one by one was getting pretty old. We were at a position in our lives with God right then and there where we were kind of like the woman who was bleeding. We had to work really hard. We didn't want to sit on our hands. We're like, okay, we think this is what you want from us, God. We're going to work for it. We're going we're gonna to keep looking up things. We're going to keep trying to work. We're going to keep making phone calls. We're going to keep talking to people. We're going to work really hard. And some of us are at that point in our life where what God wants from us is to just suck it up and work hard to go after him and what he wants for us. In our case, we had been confirmed that it was, in many ways, the bus that he wanted us, that was the next step to get that going. What are some ways... Maybe it's not a specific thing. Maybe it's just God himself. But are you in a place where God wants you to work hard? Stop being so stinking lazy about coming after him and actually get disciplined and come after him. Now, not all of us are there, but I know I'm talking to some people in this room. And if I would be talking to myself before that bus broke down, I'd be talking to myself. Work hard. Pursue. Ask. Seek. Go after God. He is there. His presence is there and can be discovered. Now, some of us are at the next place that we were at. Because you know what happened? I found a bus. I found a bus in Fort Worth, Texas. That's not really very close to Quartzsite, Arizona. You can map quest it. I found a bus there. Um, had no idea how I was going to get there. Ended up calling a guy up and be like, Hey, can I borrow one of your cars to go 2,000-mile round trip to get this bus? fascinatingly said no and actually really he probably would have said yes but in this case he had his only reliable car with him in Las Vegas at this point so he said no but he's like let's pray about it okay I like that let's pray about it and then he starts saying really obnoxious things when he prays to me like um praise to me praise for me like God, if this isn't your will, just thwart what Josh is trying to do and keep him from being able to get there. And I'm like, this is not what I expected, right? In any case, we get done praying. And he also prays that if it is God's will, that it would work out, which was helpful. I'm glad we got to the other side of that. He uh, says amen. I keep walking into town up to get some lunch at this burger stand where we had met some people in this town. We're like locals by the time we left this place. Um, As I'm walking into town, I'm still kind of like frazzled in my brain. Like, what am I going to do? Who am I? I need to talk to people. I need to get this done. Well, you know, very quickly, the situation of how God wanted to interact with me, see, threw me a curveball. He's like that sometimes, had changed. Because the very first person who I interacted with after that phone conversation where we prayed, the very first person is a man 
who stopped me and spoke to me. I did not recognize him. In fact, I thought he looked like a weirdo, and that's coming from me. As I was walking past him, because he was literally standing in the middle of this aisle like this. Little did I know he would be my savior. This man, I didn't recognize him. Apparently, he talked to Leanne in the past or something, and he's like, so how's the bus? Well, it's broken down. I'm, you know, I got to get to, we've decided to buy a new one. I got to get to Dal or Fort Worth to get it. I don't know how I'm going to get there. First person I talked to approached me. We're going to Dallas on Saturday. Want to get a ride with us? It is as if the Lord took this man Rocky's hand and reached it down and said, little boy, get a bus. There's a time to work hard. There's a time to receive well. Just be able to receive what God wants to give to you. Some of us in this room are in that place right now where we just have to be able to receive what God wants to give to us. And there's all sorts of busyness and work and ideas and stuff that are in the way of that. Now, interestingly, that was huge confirmation in my life, this story, that God did, in fact, want us to get this bus and to continue to travel. And that meant so much to me. And then I get halfway to Fort Worth, and the woman who's selling the bus calls me and tells me she sold it to someone else. We went back to work harder mode. I literally fell onto my knees, so somewhat befitting of the story, because there's a lot of that going on. In this RV... There's like four dogs in this RV, and, you know, Rocky and Wilmer driving, what's going on? You know, this older, fun couple, whatever, driving their RV around. I fall on my knees. I'm like, no. I beg this woman. I'm on the phone with her for like 45 minutes. No, I need this bus. I'm halfway there. Verbal confirmation, blah, 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 blah. She finally decides that she's going to sell this bus to me because I agree to pay more and to call the other guy who she said she was going to sell it to and tell him. I had to work. (laughs) Work mode again. Now, here's the thing. I got switched way into work mode. I got switched way into, okay, it's time to get busy. It's time to pursue. Got to make this happen. All of a sudden, the other guy who I called after he called him, he decides to fight me for the bus. And he he calls up a buddy in Fort Worth and is like, go over and get this thing right now. So what do I do? Subtle difference here. It's not work time anymore. It's trust God time. And God told me that. And Rocky and Wilmer are like, chill out, chill out, chill out. But I'm like calling everybody. I got two. I don't, I don't even own two phones, but I got a phone on every ear, which is two of them. And um, I'm, like, I'm like, you know, Western Union here, and Mom, call this place, and, you know, let's find it. And I'm going to call this guy who used to live in Fort Worth, and we're going to work it out, and we're going to beat him over there. And Rocky says, finally, in a lull where I'm like, Anybody got a paper sack for me to breathe into? Rocky goes, Josh, I really think you should just wait until we get there and see what happens. And there was, it was as if God spoke those words again. And I had another day and a half. We broke an axle on the way to get this thing. We had to fix an axle. I had another day and a half where I had to just wait. I had to wait. And let God deliver me. And let God give me what I wanted and what he told me I could have. And continue to trust in that. There are promises in the Bible of what God offers to us. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it's coming through. Sometimes it feels like we're hopeless, we're heartless, we're purposeless. Wait. Wait a while. God's made the promises, sometimes work, work harder. God wants you to ask, seek, knock. It's not always the exact same thing. We can't make God a machine. He's a living God. I hope that helps you where you're at in your life. I think there's a lot of lessons wherever we're at. It doesn't always look exactly the same. I think that's a beautiful thing because it means God knows us and wants an interaction with you and you and you 
Well, I got it. It's out back. That's important. I might have forgotten that detail. You should read my blog because other crazy things happen. I can't get into all the details. So um, go to the Scum of the Earth website and go to my staff profile, and you'll see a link to my blog on there. Mine and my wife's blog, we write on there. So many crazy things happen on the way to get that thing, and on the way back, crazy. Short bus miracle is what it's called on the blog. (laughs) You know, Jesus gave us promises. Jesus took care of huge things. Jesus came and lived, and he healed and walked among us, and he died on a cross And he rose again three days later. He did a lot of big stuff for all of us. And he gives us opportunities to come to him. And he gives us opportunities to receive from him. Let's take advantage of him. You know? Otherwise, why are we sitting here? What are we doing with ourselves? The worship team is going to come back up. We're going to offer a couple ways to connect to God tonight, and I want to encourage you to take advantage of them. If any part of what I said connected to you, and you're trying to figure out what your next step is to connecting with God, there are going to be people back there in the prayer room who are kind, compassionate, people who are on this journey as well, struggling, to find God, to love him well, to find what they want from him. Go back and pray with these people. They want to pray with you. They want to approach God with you. They want to help you get to the bottom of what next to do with God. Um, you know, there's the easiest way is to walk right down there um, and get back to them. Um, so do that. Take advantage of that. Secondly, we're going to have communion up front and in back. Gluten-free, I'm assuming, in back. Yes, I heard a very soft yes. Okay. For anyone who follows Jesus, here in communion is an opportunity to connect with what he's done for us, to connect with his death and his resurrection to remember the work that he's done for us. And I think sometimes that can set our feet back on the path to God. And I think sometimes that can open us up to that which he wants to give to us that we may not even understand. So if you follow Jesus, take advantage of that. And if you want to start following Jesus, what a beautiful way to do it than to participate in um, receiving the body and the blood of Christ remembering what he did, participating in that death and that resurrection to new life. So take advantage of that. Um, We got four songs. There are opportunities for you to meet God tonight. Don't squander them. Thanks.